my wife and I, Terry and I, and along with my mom and our dog, Daisy, traveled to Texas. We drove to Texas to spend Thanksgiving with our three children and their families. It was the first time we had been together as a family, all three kids and everybody together in almost two years. And it was just so good to see everyone and, and just to spend time with our kids and our grandchildren. It was, it was a blast. We got to stay three days and then we decided to turn around and come back home. And, and we decided, and when I say we, I mean I decided that we would do this trip from uh, just south of Austin to Washington, Missouri in one shot. You know, a trip to about 15 to 16 hours, which is not something that I haven't done before. And so we decided to do that. And so we set off, and about 13 hours in, it was about 1 a.m., I pulled off to get fuel just west of Springfield, Missouri. We'd come out of Texas through Oklahoma, now we're in southwest Missouri, and I get fuel, I jump back on the highway, and, you know, in an effort to beat the challenge time my GPS had thrown down for me. And so I was traveling and, and listening to a book, and, and I looked up and I saw a sign. It said, Tulsa, 146 miles. And I thought, well, somebody's made a mistake. I'm like, usually those signs are when you're going to a place. They don't usually put those on the side of the road when you've come from that place, right? And I'm like, somebody's, got, somebody's made a huge mistake. And I just kept driving. And <laughs> honest, I kept driving. And it was about five or 10 minutes later that I looked down at my GPS, and my GPS is routing me off the highway and back underneath and on going in the other direction. And I'm like, what is wrong with this thing? It's saying now I'm going to arrive at 4.15 a.m. rather than at 3.15 a.m. And it's like, really? Like, what the heck? And so I shut down the GPS, and I open the GPS again and put in the destination. What do you know? It tells me the same thing. Get off the next exit and turn around and go the other way. And I'm like, frustrated and I am like just about ready to turn it off and my mom wakes up and reads another road sign and says funny I thought we'd already been through Tulsa <laughs> and I'm like at that moment it was like a lightning bolt just connected all the dots and I'm like I'm going the wrong way <laughs> I'm like that's impossible Tony Diekman's going the wrong way it's like that's just not possible and so I'm looking for a sign. I get off at the next exit. I turned around and I get on the highway going back in the other direction. I had gone 26 miles back toward my kids. And I wasted an hour of precious sleep I was counting on later going in the wrong direction because I couldn't read the signs. Right? It's crazy. I and mean, what it tells you is it doesn't matter how long you've been driving or navigating or, or how good you think you are. It's easy, it's easy to get turned around and headed in the wrong direction, especially when, when you think yourself a master navigator and think yourself beyond these kind of things. And when you're really tired, you can make these kind of mistakes. Well, you know, the same is true when it comes to following Jesus, right? The same is true when it comes to following Jesus. It can even be more challenging because Jesus doesn't always take the safe route that we think he should take, right? He doesn't always follow Google or the map that we've marked out for him, right? No, Jesus is, is following a path that's laid out before him, and he calls us to follow him, right? And it's a challenge. And then add to that our ability to ignore the signs, 
right, to ignore the signs like mounting credit card debt and, and closets packed full of toys that haven't been played with in, in years and a closet packed full of clothes that really aren't worn all that often. And then include on top of that all the storage units full of stuff. And if you don't believe me, just think. Ask yourself a question right now. Name one thing you got for Christmas last year. Done. You couldn't do it, right? And that's just a sign that maybe, just maybe, we're headed in the wrong direction. And then add on top of that the stress and the anxiety and the exhaustion of chasing after the perfect gift or paying off that debt. And don't you have to sit there and ask yourself, why? Why do I do this to myself year after year? Why do I do to my, myself month after month? You know, sometimes it takes somebody else to drive or somebody else to kindly point out to you that maybe you're going in the wrong direction, Tony. Maybe. And so this Advent season, this Christmas season, I'd like us to focus on one sign. It's a sign that I think if we pause long enough and often enough and absorb its message, it can actually reroute our lives and reorient our heart this Christmas season. And, and, and who knows? Maybe the whole year. And that sign is the manger. And, and when I say the manger, I don't mean, I don't mean the, the whole scene. The manger, the word that's here in the text that you heard read, the manger is that what's being translated there is the word food trough. It's the actual box, this thing. This is the manger. It was, this is a food trough that was used to feed animals. That is where Jesus was lying. That is the manger. It's not the whole scene. But see, this story, like, like, like traveling down a road, can be very familiar. right? It become, can become so familiar that you can miss significant things. And it does take somebody else to like, point them out to you. right? And so you need someone else to point that out to you. And so I volunteer for that job this morning. Of, of pointing that out to us, that, that maybe we're missing the signs. That maybe the things that we've grown just accustomed to, this is just Christmas, it's just what happens. Or it's just how we live in this country, it's just how it happens. We've, 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 we're missing the signs because maybe we've been traveling long enough in the other direction that we're kind of like okay with that. But you think about it, we as Christians... We are the ones that have been tasked with, we, we should know that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? But we have found ourselves sometimes, some of us traveling in the opposite direction, and, and we need some assistance in, in turning us around. And so this morning, I, I want to focus on this one sign, this sign of, of Jesus in a manger. And, and so what, what does this whole story have to do with Christmas and Advent and, and actually the manger scene, and, and, and today's topic, oh, forgot, today's topic, spending less. Well, that's what I want to explore with you guys this morning. So if you would, bow your heads, pray with me, and let's begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for our family. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for our church family that we can actually get together this morning and, and, and watch a miracle of baptism, and that we can gather around your word and be directed by you. And so I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight, that my words, my thoughts, would be your words, <laughs> only your words. And may you receive glory for everything here this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this manger scene that was in last week's message, I don't know if you caught the message online last night, but this is a scene from that message. And this was a scene that, that was shared with us. A church on the north side creates this every year, and it, it's, it's created out of trash, and it's stuck between two dumpsters, really to remind us the really messy scene that Jesus was born into. This wasn't this pristine scene. It was really messy and smelly. And uh, if you haven't seen the, the, the Chosen at Christmas, you guys should see that. It does a wonderful job of, of and beautiful music. Just a little side advertisement. I get nothing for that, by the way. So, uh, but anyway, this really stuck with me, and it really is what led me down a path to asking the question, like, like why? Why the manger? And, and it was actually N.T. Wright in one of his commentaries that, that, that actually brought that to my attention, that actually that Luke, in these 20 verses, actually speaks of the manger three times, that Jesus was lying in a manger three times. Now, I was taught in seminary that whenever you see something repeat, a word, a phrase in Scripture in a short period of time, you should stop and ask why. But I never stopped and asked why. And you're going, surprise. But I never did. And I was like, why didn't I see this before? But once I saw it, I started asking the question, why? And, and, and he was very articulate in helping understand why. And when you look at it, hopefully it'll help us see why. Focusing on this one sign can help us this Christmas season. It can help us as, as we understand better the reason for the season. Maybe to read some signs and, and get off this highway and turn around and go in the other direction and, and follow Jesus. Because Luke does three times mention lying in a manger. He does it in verse 7, 12, and 16. The first time, it's just a description that Jesus was lying in a manger, that, that, that Mary swallowed him in these claws and laid him in a manger, laid him in this food trough. And then the second time was when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, this will be a sign to you that this baby will be lying in a manger. He will be in Bethlehem lying in a manger. And then the third time is after they've gone there and they find Mary and Joseph, and guess what? The baby lying in a manger, just like the angel said he would be. And so why? Why, why does he do this three times? I mean, you can understand twice, right? It was, here's the scene, this is what you'll find, and they found exactly what they were looking for. But he doesn't. He uses the same phrase, lying in a manger. And so why does he do that? Well, to understand that, let's look and see what he actually talked about, and maybe we can better understand why. It starts off where he writes, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. These days is an indication that Augustus Caesar... He was the Caesar at the time, and he had become Caesar. He actually followed his stepfather, Julius Caesar, to that position after a bloody civil war in about 31 B.C. And what he did was he turned this Roman Republic into a Roman Empire, and he made himself the king. He made himself the head of this empire. And then he also decreed himself as bringing peace and justice to the world. Oh, and at the same time, he said that his father, Julius Caesar, was actually divine, which then made him the son of God. Follow? 
And now at the same time, in a far distant area of the Roman Empire, this small child is being born. Another story of a king coming into the world. A king that some said was the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God. Luke is setting up for us. Can you see what Luke is setting up? He's setting up for us this future confrontation between these two kingdoms. And, and you know, because there could only be one true king. So he goes on to say that, and then everyone went to their own town to be registered. So Joseph went up from the town of Galilee in, Na in, in Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. See, it was tradition that you would go, if there was a census, that you would go to the town, not just where you were from, but actually your ancestral town, your, the, sort of the family seat of, of your family. And for both Joseph and Mary, that was Bethlehem. And so they traveled from Nazareth, where they both lived, as we see, to the town of Bethlehem to register for this census. And he goes on and says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, why is this significant? Why is all this significant? Well, why can't I operate this thing today? Why is this all significant? Well, as I said, they're traveling to Bethlehem. Why are they traveling to Bethlehem? See, there are a lot of things in this text that we could focus on today, but because we're trying to keep it shorter, right, we want to focus on the manger. And so I just want to focus on the manger today. And so in this story, why is he lying in a manger? He's lying in a manger because Caesar has decreed that they register. See, if it hadn't been for the decree of Caesar, Jesus wouldn't have been born in a manger. Chances are he would have been born in Mary's home and she would have had attendance. So the manger would have never happened. He would have never been in the manger in the first place if it hadn't been for Caesar, Caesar decreeing that there be a census. And so we're told that then the angels go and tell the shepherds. For unto you this day is born the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find him lying in a manger. And that's exactly what they found. They found Jesus lying in a manger. So why is the manger so important? Now, I know there's a lot of different theories, but I want to put forth to you today that I don't think as N.T. Wright says, that the manger is all that important. At least in and of itself is not that important. What's important is that the manger is a sign. 
right? The fact that he was born in Bethlehem is a sign, right? Because that was what was written by Micah. That you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem was a sign to the scholars of Israel that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was to be a sign. The manger was to be a sign. Why is the manger important? Because it points to the person laying in the manger. The manger itself is a sign pointing to the fact of who is in the manger. And I believe that's what Luke wants us to understand. Not only who is in the manger, but why he's lying there. Not only who is in the manger, but why he is lying there. That's the significance of the manger. And sometimes at Christmas, we can lose sight of the who and the why because we get overcome by the scenery. And we can miss the true sign that was intended for us to see. It's at this Advent season that as we look around our neighborhoods and we look in our homes and we look in storefronts, we see this scene everywhere. And Luke wants it to be a reminder to us of the person of the child who was lying in it. See, he was a special child. And all the Jewish people that would have heard this story, Mary and Joseph that night, the shepherds, being Jewish, would have known the significance of Jesus being called a Savior, the Lord, the Messiah. They would have known that God was ushering in a time of peace and justice for the world. They knew this was no ordinary child. However, they had no idea who this child really was. See, it would take another 33 years for that to be made known to them. It would take a cross and an empty tomb for them to come to understand who was really lying in that manger that night. It was God himself lying in that manger. It wasn't just any child. It wasn't a child proclaiming to be. It was the incarnate deity. It was Jesus, God in flesh, that was lying in that manger. And why that's important is because Jesus did that knowingly. He did that knowing what that would mean. Who was lying in the manger was God. Why he was lying there was so that he could die on a cross. Not for his own sins, but for your sins. And along the way, he endured being birthed, having his diaper changed, being circumcised, being laughed at, being mocked, being spit on, being beaten, being crucified on a criminal's cross and dying. And don't you want to ask the question, why? Why would he endure all of that? Well, it's clear from this message. He did that so that he could be with you. That he could be with you and you could be with him. He did that so that he could be with us. That's why he did it. He didn't do it for all the presents that we bring him. He didn't do it for all the songs that we sing. He didn't do it for the offerings that we bring. There is nothing that we bring that Jesus needs, that God desires, 
but us. And in this message, he's saying to each one of you, you are enough for God. You are enough for God. And somewhere along the way, we've gotten that message mixed up. And somewhere along the way, maybe we believe that we're not enough. And so we bring tons of presents. Because maybe we really haven't wrestled with and understood that in God's eyes, we are enough. See, we have a God who, who values people over possessions. In, in Matthew chapter 6, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said it this way. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust are vermin destroyed and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What's the treasure? It's people. That's who Jesus is talking about. His treasure is you. And he's calling us and, and those who follow him to store up and use our treasures to store up people in heaven. And this manger is a sign to you that it was God himself who came into the world to die for you so that you could be with him, so that you could know that you are enough, and so that you could use your resources not to follow after Caesar, believing in the lie that, that your peace and prosperity come from the security of the things and the plethora of the things that are around you. No, your peace and security come from the fact that this child is your Lord and Savior, the one true king. And today that battle between those two kingdoms continues. And so today it's, so whom will you follow? Will you read the signs? All of them. And can you pause long enough this Christmas season? Can you, can you absorb the message that says you are enough? And have it just reorient your heart and reroute your life. You know, we chose to partner with Collective Chicago this Advent season not to be seen as as righteous in God's eyes, not to be acceptable in his eyes, or to be accepted here. We don't do this to be acceptable to one another. No, we do this because God has blessed us beyond what he has blessed others. And, and there is a group of young men living in the city of Chicago that have far less than we have. But they're learning, they're learning from a small group of people just how important they are to God. And, and they're learning that as, as people are pouring out their lives upon them and providing them resources and, and a house to live in and a family to actually experience. Here, watch, watch this. Eighteen. I'm from the west side of Chicago, the west side of Humble Park. I originally grew up in the Austin and East Garfield neighborhood. I grew, my mom was from a third world country. My dad was, you know, dead when I was young. We've been like getting kicked out of places. We lived in hotels, almost shelters, you know. 
we've been living like off social security and stuff like that, so it's been hard for us. And then trying to maintain, it was days, weeks, we went without eating. I ended up coming to the United States when I was like nine. I was kicked out on the street at 15. We always had to like go fend for ourselves. Even though we was a family, everybody tried to fend for themselves. Like the last three years, I was really going through hell. And uh, um, I was, I was uh, like suffering through depression and then um, I didn't have nowhere to live. Not even money, just like to have food in my stomach and uh, have a, like, a place to stay at night and just, you know, sleeping on the train. My freshman year, I got into a little bit of trouble, you know, stuff like that. My dad died, I was under 15, and 13 days after my dad died, I got shot four times. Like, trying to recover, arm was broke, you know, stomach cut open. I had, a, like, three surgeries. Um, I got connected with this uh, organization called Trilogy. Um, they helped me, but the shelter that I was living in was closing, so they found me the collective. After, after all that, I tried to get in more programs, trying to find more jobs. My mentor, she um, <laughs> she been trying to get me like stuff like these, and then once once the uh, opening came up for the collective, she been looking to a lot of stuff. She jumped on it. She called me while I was at work. <laughs> and told me to do the application, so I went in the bathroom doing work. <laughs> and I did, <laughs> I did the application. And I went through the interview process, which is great, you know. Meeting Adam for the first time was great. I remember I got there and I was like, wait, this doesn't look like a shelter. So I took a picture with my phone and said to a friend, I'm like, yo, this is where I am. If I don't leave in 30 minutes, um, come look for me. <laughs> so I would say the collective was like a, I wouldn't say a housing, I'd say like, I'd say like, I wouldn't say temporary housing. I'd say like, people that's taking you in as they own, like a family, as of right now. Even though you might not be in there for so long, you feel like, you'll feel like you're a part of something or you feel like you're family. I went in, had dinner with the guys. It was refreshing, it was new, it wasn't a shelter. It was kind of like a home. No, I felt comfortable the first day, you know? Um, even though sometimes I would hide a, a golf club, you know, under the pillow, you know, just because, you, you know, you never know, you never know, you know, and they did find it. <laughs> they did find it. <laughs> you know, like doing group outings, I wasn't doing group outings with my family, like, so, and it being experienced to new things like food, all this different type of food, all these different new places and people, it's like different. If I don't care for them, I feel like my day not complete. Like if I don't ask them what's wrong, even I can be hurt myself, but I still check on them and make sure they're okay. One thing I want to say is that like, they seen the good person that I was. They seen the best that I was when a lot of people wasn't able to see, you know, the good in me, you know? I like, you know, just being brought into like a family that I never really had, you know, just being out on the streets so long that you forget how to trust people you forget that there are good people out there that don't want anything in return. They just want to be good and see people succeed. And that was, uh, that was that's what I appreciated most. Mm. See, it wasn't the stuff, right? It wasn't the shelter, it was the people, it was the relationships, it was actually being known, right? And, and understanding that God came for them and that they matter.
right? And they, they learn that, and they're learning that through the people of Collective Chicago. And, and this Christmas season, we have an opportunity to partner with this organization to help remind these young men and other young men to come that they matter, that they're enough, right? See, as followers of Jesus, it can be very easy to ignore the signs, especially with all the distractions at Christmas. And so this Christmas, I want to challenge you to focus on the manger. I want you to pause long enough and, and continue to look at the manger, and more importantly, the child that, that laid within that manger. Because he's the reminder that you matter. He's the reminder that these young men matter. He's the reminder that he values people over possessions, and he calls his followers to do the same. My prayer is that you would join the conspiracy this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your kindness and your love and your continued reminder that you're still working today. You're working even when we don't see you working. You're, you're, you're moving and you're, you're reorienting the world through, through leaders to bring about your kingdom. You're reorienting our lives and the wealth in the world to bring about your kingdom. Father, we confess to you this morning that we are very easily distracted and ignore the signs, the clear signs that maybe we're headed in the wrong direction. And, and your word is a reminder that maybe it's time for us to just stop and turn around, drop to our knees and pray. This morning we pray that, that, that you would forgive us our sins. And at the same time, we know because your word reminds us that those sins have been forgiven. Jesus on a cross, the empty tomb, the manger scene are all reminders that, that you came into this world to die for our sins, to pay the price for those sins. And you call us each and every day to follow you. Father, give us a heart, give us eyes, give us a mind, give us the will to be deliberate about following you this Christmas season and this next year. Give us wisdom. Give us strength so that we can bring that message of peace and justice to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.